0: Father, we pray that as we get into the book of Colossians, this little letter, that you would give us insight and wisdom, what lies ahead, and the reasons that all these things are taking place, and and the purposes that you have had since the foundations of the world were set. We ask that you would give us incredible insight as to how you reconciled the world to yourself as spoken about in this book of colossians. And father with your help we'll do so in Jesus name. Now we focused last time on the preeminence of Christ, his authority, his redemption, his deity, his authority, his pre um, eminence in creation, in the church, and in wisdom and knowledge. All of those things are touched on last week but what we're going to look at now is salvation and reconciliation. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ being reconciled and being saved. Now this section here in Colossians chapter 1 beginning in verse 19 and 20, it is thick with a theology of salvation. It's what did God do, why did he do it, and how did do did he do it? The what, why, and how of salvation. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. And it's coming off this idea that Christ is preeminent over all. And he says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, just that section right there, those two verses, it is just packed with theology the what is there the fullness of god in jesus so god the father was in jesus and why to reconcile the world and all of creation to himself he says things on earth and things in heaven and when i read that the first time it's like what things in heaven have to be reconciled to god well all of creation is under a curse just get up in the morning you'll know that you've been cursed as, as you roll out. You know, you grunt and you groan and it's difficult, especially as the years get put on to our lives. And God decided he wanted to be in Jesus to reconcile the world back to himself. That's John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He wanted us back from our state of fallenness. Adam and Eve, they fell, and he says, well, I'm going to do something about that. I want to retrieve as many people who are willing to be retrieved. And so we have the what? The fullness of God in Jesus. Why? To reconcile. And re- the word reconcile means to settle, resolve, square away. I have one guy that I work for, and often when I talk to him, he says at the end of our conversation, we all good? We're fine? And I say, yeah, we're, we're good. We're fine. That's what God does to us. He turns to us, and he says, are we good? Are we fine? And we turned back to him as believers and said, yes, we are good, we are fine. And then the how, how did God do this? How did God get reconciled to us? Through the blood of Jesus Christ. Now this is reiterated, these points, the what, why, and the how of salvation. In Second Corinthians five seventeen, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled to us reconciled us to himself through christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that god was reconciling the world to himself in christ not counting men's sins against them and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation in other words god said i'm going to be in jesus and i'm going to reconcile or settle with those who wish to be settled with who were in the world And that's exactly what he did. The Old Testament sacrifices and feasts pointed to Jesus doing this very thing. For instance, you had the Passover lamb where the angel of death came in and anybody who did not have the blood on the doorpost and the lintel of the house, uh, they had the angel of death come into their house and take the firstborn. Everyone else that had the blood, the angel of death passed over. And what blood was given on the doorpost and the lintel? It was the blood of the lamb. Jesus is the blood of the lamb. His blood covers us, the doorposts, the lintels, the entry to the house. We are covered, and so we pass from death and judgment to life. Then there is the feast of unleavened bread. Jesus had no yeast, no evil in him. That's why the Jews had to take out all leaven from the house because that represented rot and decay, and Jesus had none of that, the rot and decay. And so that's why they celebrated the Feast of Unleavened Bread at the same time or the day after uh, the Passover of the Lamb. Then there's the Feast of First Fruits. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. All of these feasts were pointing to Jesus and what he did. Then you have the Feast of Pentecost. And by the way, these are in Exodus 12, Exodus 23, and Leviticus chapter 23. You have the Feast of Pentecost. That's when the church was born. But it was an Old Testament feast. On which it happened, Passover happened on a feast. We know that Pentecost, the birth of the church, happened on a feast, and there 's another event that 's coming that they think is going to happen on one of two feasts. some say it 's the Feast of trumpets, some uh, people think it 's the Feast of tabernacles, and so you can watch those dates. that could be the date of the rapture when God does something, and of course that 's the pre tribulational premillennial view of scripture, but these feasts point to Jesus and what He has done. And then you have the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. Now, Yom Kippur, uh, that is uh, the ultimate high holy day for the Jews. It's a day where atonement is made for the nation of Israel. If you transfer that today, well, Jesus was the atoning lamb for the entire world, not just for the nation of Israel. And if you remember the story of this, they selected two goats. And one goat was the sacrificial goat and the other goat was to be set free. After the high priest took his hands, he placed his hands on the head of that goat and then that goat was taken into the wilderness. But first, both of them had to be without spot or blemish. And if you recall when we did this, I think it was uh, last year sometime, when the two goats were selected, uh, they were, had to be perfect. And if you look at Jesus, remember somebody was released quote into the wilderness it was barabbas and remember i told you about barabbas the way that you indicated whose child you were was uh, simon bar jonah simon son of jonah well bar abbas is barabbas bar abbas is son of the father and in the syrian and coptic versions of the bible guess what his first name was jesus barabbas who was released his first name was jesus or yeshua and if you have jesus who is god's son and barabbas who is jesus son of the father jesus was taken as the sacrifice barabbas was set free it's like the sins of israel go away and you see that in scripture if you understand the feast you go this is incredible god even set that one up to point to the Son Jesus Christ, and if the, the high priest especially should have seen that, what's this guy's name? Who they're saying that needs to be released? Barabbas, son of the Father. Uh, the two goats, one released, one taken. They have the same name. They're the same individuals. It's just two goats, so to speak, two human beings, two men, and that's how God set this thing up. And one was called the one that was released, like uh, Barabbas. He was called the scapegoat or the Azazel. Azazel, I should say. And then the the tabernacle itself. You know, Jesus, when he became the sacrifice or when this Yom Kippur, this Day of Atonement was to take place, The high priest, what he would do is first sacrifice a bull for his own sins and then he'd go and he'd sprinkle the mercy seat and he'd sprinkle the altar. But he also had to do that with the goat that was sacrificed. First, the bull was for his own sins and then the goat was for the sins of Israel, the sacrifice for Israel. And he took that blood and he put that blood on the mercy seat. Now, if you remember what the mercy seat is, you had the tabernacle, you had the holy place, and then the most holy place or the holy of holies. Behind that was the, or in front of that was the curtain, and you had the Ark of the Covenant, and the, the cover for the Ark of the Covenant was off, and you had the two angels with their, with their wings pointed upward and their heads bowed down, but there was no seat, but the lid was called the mercy seat. Now we know that the tabernacle is just a copy of the one that is in heaven in Hebrews chapter 8 it says that that's why Moses was given specific instructions to follow the design that God had given him because it is a copy of the tabernacle which is in heaven and it says in Hebrews 9 Jesus entered that tabernacle that is in heaven by his own blood and his own blood with that tabernacle in heaven he offered the atonement the forgiveness of sins and that's how God's wrath was appeased because God requires a blood sacrifice in order for there to be either atonement or remission of sins. And so life was in the blood and only a life could make atonement for the sin. And since Jesus was God, his blood was perfect and he could cover the sins of the entire world, not just the sins of a nation, not just atoning. The atoning was a cover where Jesus' blood actually removes the sins as far as the east is from the west. And God the Father was in Jesus reconciling the world back to himself. So you may have heard that the ransom was paid. It's not like uh, the earth was being held hostage by God and you better pay this or that's it, it's all over. This idea of ransom is there was a cost that had to be paid for the sins of the world and the cost had to be offered by someone who was perfect that had a perfect sacrifice that's why all the sacrifices of the old testament had to be without blemish you know there were the area of bethlehem that's where they raised the sheep that were the sacrificial lambs that's where they would do that and they would take the sheep and they would wipe them off and guess what kind of cloth they would use swaddling cloths they would wipe those sheep with the swaddling cloths and so the shepherds who were out in the fields at night who were raising those sheep that would be sacrificed in Israel at the temple they knew exactly what the connection was the swaddling clothes with the lambs and here's the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world i mean the representations of this foreshadowing is just incredible that god has set up so uh, the reason that we could not go to god and say god will you please forgive us of our sins is because we are fallen we are sinful we're not perfect that's why god needed a high priest that was totally perfect that had no imperfection whatsoever that's why god himself who is the only one who is good who's the only one who is perfect had to become one of us he was the second adam according to scripture adam the first one he fell He was perfect when he was made. Jesus, the second Adam, he was perfect when he was born. And and so he is the one that was able to offer a sacrifice to God. And it was our job to bring the sacrifice, to ask for forgiveness. But no one in the human race, after Adam and Eve fell, could offer that kind of sacrifice. No one was perfect. And so we were in a bad state. There could be no forgiveness given unless... The offering was perfect and the one who offered it was perfect. That's why Jesus had to become a man and offer his own blood because his blood was perfect, he was perfect, both the sacrifice and the one who offered it. Now, I've always asked the question in my mind, why, why did he do it this way? Why did he say there has to be blood spilt in order to have forgiveness of sins in order for us to be saved why couldn't there be some other modus operandi some some other function that could take place that could give us this forgiveness and you know i think we could do a lot of speculation on this but i think ultimately it demonstrates that this is the love of god that he has for all of humanity because we know that John fifteen thirteen 13 says, there, For there is no greater love than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. So God wanted to demonstrate his own love for us, that he was willing to offer himself as the sacrifice in order to redeem us. Even Romans says this, Romans 5, 8, But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So not only did he die for his quote-unquote friends, which were non-existent on the cross, but he died for his enemies. And, and the scripture talks about that. You know, what? there may be a man who might die for a friend, but what man will die for his enemy? And that's what God did. So he's demonstrating his love for us. Could there have been another possible way? I think if there was, he would have done it. That this was the only way that we could receive Forgiveness of sin. So once Adam and Eve sinned, they were perfect. There was no one available to offer the sacrifices to God. And it would have been our job to go to God. (coughs) And so we understand how God was doing this. The, The what and the why and the how. What God the Father was in Jesus Christ reconciling the world back to himself through the sacrifice of the blood which was perfect. And God said at that point... The requirement is satisfied. The door is open for fellowship. That's why when you had Jesus died, the the uh, curtain that was separating the holy place from the most holy place, that's why it ripped from top to bottom. It was now open. Prior to that, the high priest could only go in once a year. And if he went in beside that time once a year, he was killed by God. He would die if he went in there and if he didn't offer the proper sacrifices he would die god is holy and he determines how he will be worshiped and he tells us to do it and we are not to offer strange fire remember there was a guy who did that in the old testament Korah, uh, he rebelled they offered strange fire in, in a way that was not prescribed by god and so he tells us how we're supposed to worship him how we are to romans twelve one offer our bodies as living sacrifices that's that's how he wants us to honor him now That our sins have been forgiven. In verse 21, he goes on to explain that prior to all this, we were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. That's verse 21. So there were two things that isolated us from God, which required a sacrifice, which God did in Christ Jesus who offered his own blood. Number one is our minds, our minds have been corrupted. Have you ever had to rope in thoughts like, stop that? Have you ever get angry at somebody for no reason or misconstrue something and just be angry at someone else? God says if you're angry at your heart for, uh, against someone else uh, and for no reason, you have committed murder. Or if you lusted in your heart over somebody who's not your spouse and you have committed adultery. All these things, the mind is corrupt. And if we just let our minds roll... They will have evil thoughts just bloom, and God says, don't let it happen it's the mind is where the battle really is won and it is lost, and it is corrupted and then our deeds uh, and our deeds which Christ are without Christ, they are completely evil. the things that we would do if given no restraint or taken all restraint away the things that we would do would be completely evil as defined by scripture. We would be physical murderers. We would be physical thieves. We would covet those things which are around us, you know, the 10 commandments. And if we renew our minds, the deeds will follow our renewed mind until we get our new bodies. God has made provision for us to have our minds renewed. And this is Romans chapter 8, verse 6. The mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. So the mind that is corrupted by the fall, the sin, the original sin from Adam and Eve, we want to do that which is evil and we will call that which is evil good we will say it's okay or we'll say god will forgive me for that and i can live like this and that is not true it's different for one who is caught in a sin as opposed to one who says no i know this is wrong but it's okay god loves me he'll let me do this he'll let me be a thief he'll let me be a murderer it's okay it's justified i've gone to the prison down there at donovan And, you know, when you talk to the guys, when you're in there, it's like, you know, it had to happen. It was just something that had to take place. Somebody had to do it. You know, somebody had to carry out this crime. Somebody had to carry out this murder. Somebody had to carry out this theft. And it was justified. And they justified in their own mind. And, and God says, no, it's still wrong. It's always wrong to lie. It's always wrong to take God's name in vain. It's always wrong to act in an immoral fashion. It's always wrong to be an adulterer. There's no time where it is okay. It is acceptable. And God says, that's why the sacrifice has to take place. So there's the renewing of the mind in Romans chapter 8, verse 6, in Romans chapter 12. Verse 1 through verse 2 talks about this as well. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And this renewing of our minds happens through the washing of the word. That's in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 and 26. And Jesus, it seems like uh, through Paul, he's talking about husbands and wives, but he's actually talking about the church. He says, husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And so it is the word that transforms our minds that enables us to do the proper deeds. If we don't uh, get ourselves in the word, our minds will not be transformed and we will do evil deeds. And we will justify our evil deeds. What God calls evil, we want to call good and vice versa. What God calls good, we want to call evil. And scripture talks about that. So the deeds of those who are in the world, I mean, what are the evil deeds of the world if you were in the world these and i'm going to give you some things here of course the ten commandments the ten commandments if you violate those those are the things that the world does and does on a regular basis and they cannot help but doing those things and if you do the deeds of the world the world will love you Uh, john chapter seven verse seven says the world cannot hate you but it hates me because i testify that what it does is evil So the world system, everything that is set up, I mean, all you have to do is look at the politics that are out there, just all over the place in the suppression of truth. The world loves that stuff, but those who are in Christ, they hate to see that. They hate to see the evil people rising to power, the suppression of what is truth. It is not good. And God tells us, but we are created... In Christ Jesus, to do good works, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, which he prepared in advance for us to do. And so once we receive the forgiveness of sins, we wash ourselves in the word of God, our minds are transformed, and we can do those deeds that he calls us to do, which he determined before the foundations of the earth. So what are the works of the world? Like I said, they are the Ten Commandments. And you can go through those. Have no other gods before me. Make no graven image. Do not take God's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Now, Jesus is our Sabbath day's rest. Honor your mother and father. Do not murder. Do not uh, commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie or bear false witness. And do not covet. All of those things. But the world does that. They covet. The last one. The people covet what the rich have. But, you know, the people who are terribly rich, like we just read on the... um, the uh, food for thought up there. The person who is so rich like that, sometimes they don't get sleep at night. And because they're worrying about their possessions, the more possessions you have, the more sleep you'll lose because you're worried about those possessions. The person who has no possessions, what do they to worry about? I just need food. I need food. I need clothing and a place to lay my head. And that's it. And with that, there is contentment. But also... Uh, These 10 commandments are listed in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5, but also Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. And you know these. It talks about the way that the world acts, the sinful nature. It says they are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, or drug use hatred discord jealousy fits of rage selfish ambition dissensions factions envy drunkenness orgies and the like i warn you as i did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of god and and so how do you act if you are in the lord and what should be different from the world the things that the world actually hates it doesn't like that these things it's the fruit of the spirit love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control Against such things, there is no law. Have you ever had somebody come up to you and say, you're such a goody two-shoes. Like you do everything that's supposed to be nice and holy and good. And and they criticize you for doing that which God said we should participate in doing. And he says also that we don't do these things because, or we should stop doing these things because we're conceited, we provoke and we envy each other. It talks about this. In the scripture, now this idea of being conceited, conceited is prideful or glorifying self. People who are of the world are prideful and glorify self. Just get on social media. Now, I don't have social media. I don't have Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook, um, any of those things. I used to. I to. It's kind of cool when you got on there you make connections with people that you used to be familiar with like back in high school that as a result of Facebook I had a wonderful high school reunion went to got to see people I hadn't seen in, uh, you know decades and, and it was a wonderful time but then you start finding out what they're using it for and how bad it is I just said I'm done with the social media but how many selfies are out there I mean selfie 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 that's All people like to do, they hold up the phone and they show themselves somewhere or with someone, whether it's SeaWorld or at a party or New Year's or whatever it might be. There are just tens of thousands of selfies out there because they want to lift themselves up and make themselves feel better and be prideful and glorify themselves. And then there's the provoking which takes place. Now, the provoking I remember being young, uh, I think it was my mom that talked about there were four boys in our household, and we had provoke each other all the time. And she'd say, stop provoking. Well, what does provoking mean? It means infuriating, irritating, aggravating, annoying, frustrating, maddening, agitating, goading, gating, inflaming, and hassling. All of those things. If you had siblings, I'm sure that was taking place sometime in your family history growing up or if you had kids I'm sure they went back and forth and that's the way of the world that's the unruly uh, human nature the fallen nature that dwells in each one of us so there's being conceited there's the provoking and envying that we want to make each other jealous like look what I have too bad you don't have that and that's the way of the world verse 22 says but now he has reconciled you to Christ's physical body through death to present you Holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith established and firm, not move from the hope held out in the gospel. So there's three things here that God wants to accomplish. One, to make us holy. Holy is being pure. How do you remain pure in a world that is impure? it's like we have to put blinders on almost we have to filter the scripture says take every thought captive we're supposed to do that now who is successful in doing this no one 100 percent of the time wish we were when we have our glorified bodies this won't even be a temptation for us we will be holy because Christ makes us holy. But we are supposed to try to act in a fashion that is holy. He also wants to present us <clears throat> to God the Father without blemish. <clears throat> God washes our sins and makes us white as snow. Uh, this is an Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be or are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson... They shall be like wool. And he's referring to uh, some sheep have this incredibly white wool, just like there's some sheep that have just the darkest black wool and everything that is in between. And so the Jews would have understood this when it was written in Isaiah, make your uh, sins that are crimson like wool. It's the white wool which is there. And then free from accusation. So they're... if if somebody brought out a list for each one of our lives the accusations that could be leveled against us it would be endless all the things that we are guilty of guilty all the ten commandments broke every one of those the the um, sins of the flesh in galatians chapter 5 verse 19 guilty of every one of those and satan would come along and say see guilty on every count and he would start reading through the list and it would just be like a ticker tape it would just, you guys know what a ticker tape is it used to be the stock market thing it used to ching, ching 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 and it would spit out and it would tell you what's going on in the stock market that's that's before my time but you know that's what the ticker tape was and also a ticker tape parade that they used to have in new york they'd take that ticker tape because there'd be a lot of it and they'd throw it out the windows in the high rise and they'd come streaming down and that'd be a ticker tape parade. That's what it would be. Kind of like uh, the one that came after that was key punch. You know, the key punch operators. I'm going way back then. There was a Commodore ninety uh, 64 and, you know, you had these computers and you had a screen that was split and you didn't know what you're printing and you had the pinwheel printers that came out. And now what do we have? We have a phone. We just print what we want to and it goes to the printer and it's just incredible. That but that's the the ticker tape thing. He would run through this list of everything that you've done wrong, everything that you are guilty of, and God says, it's okay. He's been forgiven. She's been forgiven of those things. And he is the accuser of the brethren. Reverend, or excuse me, Reverend. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. says, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. So that's what Satan does. He goes to God and says, See, they are totally unworthy of your love. Look what they've done. Look how they've sinned. And God says, It's okay. They've been forgiven. It's been covered over. It's been obliterated as far as the east is from the west. So God, the father, through Jesus, wanted to have us back from the judgment of sin if we would have him. Now, some people have a hard time with that in theological circles. Some people would say, none of us would have it, and God causes us to want him. And we have nothing to do with it whatsoever. I think we have a little bit to do with it. Not that we are working with God for our salvation, not that there's any work that we can do. We simply have faith. And faith is not a work. And so we have to be willing to humbly admit our sin, to repent, to change our mind and turn to God. That's why it says repent and be saved. Change your mind, turn to God, and he will save you from your sin. As long as you're established firm and you're not moved in your hope and this idea that we continue in faith, that's all we have to do. We just continue believing. We just... Head down that road. If there's any time in which we say, nah, I don't believe anymore. Well, it's my opinion that probably not ever saved. But we know that God himself, he is our peace. Ephesians 2, verse 14 says, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And he's talking about this hostility that was between humankind and God. Jesus destroyed that. He did that by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two. So Jesus, being God, took human race, became one of us, made the two one in himself. And eventually, we will become one with God in our glorified bodies, just like the Father is one with Jesus Christ. That's Jesus' desire. And he goes on to say, And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So that's how the reconciliation part takes place. God the Father in Jesus, reconciling himself to the world through the blood of Jesus Christ, removing the hostility which is there, bringing peace for us. Before we have this peace with God, we are the enemies of God. We are hostile We want to do a hostile takeover. That's what Satan had in mind. He wanted to be like the most high, according to the Old Testament. And God said, no, it's not going to happen. So God is the great peacemaker for us. He wanted to restore us. He wanted us to make uh, become holy. He wanted to remove the stain of sin. And he wanted all accusations against us to be removed or without none effect. And this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which i paul have become a servant so that's the whole purpose of that section which is just rich in theology and you go back to the old testament you see jesus in every page of the old testament every book of the old testament you see him there And and that's how he foreshadowed Jesus who was to come. And he even said he would be coming. A prophet like me in the book of Deuteronomy and also in Proverbs, the book of Proverbs. Tell me the name of his son if you know it. All of that was foreshadowed. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. All the festivals, the seven feasts that have to be observed by the Israelites. All pointed to Jesus Christ. And so God, through Paul, tells us in this tiny letter all the theology we need for salvation the salvation and the reconciliation so Paul had a ministry to the church in Colossae and he wanted to make sure that they understood it even though he didn't know the people in Colossae he had never been there he had some friends that were there and some of the friends that are listed are Epaphras Philemon Onesimus Tychicus Athia and Archippus and he he had those friends but while he was in prison in Rome he wrote this particular book He wrote this book, not Galatians, but Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. He wrote those all when he was in prison. And so he had familiar people that could speak for him also in the church at Colossae and He was rejoicing over the fact that he was in prison because of the gospel that benefited the church in Colossae. And verse twenty-four says, "Now I rejoice in what you or what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of His body, which is the church." So he was rejoicing. You know, I'm suffering this for no other reason than just giving the gospel. Giving the gospel out. You know, this idea of being persecuted for the message of the gospel. Do you think that that's coming to us? I just saw a video of a pastor in Canada that was meeting. And, of course, they're very strict up there. You can't say certain things. You can be thrown in jail. They don't have the right to free speech in their country. and They don't have the right to assemble like we have the right to assemble here. The Constitution is the highest law in the land over the president, Congress. And over the courts, no matter what they say, the Constitution is the supreme law of the land. They don't have that over there. And this one pastor took a video of all these police officers coming in and they're telling him, you can't meet me. And he's saying, out. He's just yelling at them, get out of here. You don't even come back unless you have a warrant. And he, he's just screaming at not really screaming, but he's just yelling at them to get out of the place. And, and here we have different freedoms. But up there in Canada, you think, oh, there's some nice, don't you know, up in Canada and no it's becoming like a state of tyrants up there same thing with Australia and England and the Middle East and China they they all have these tyrannical powers which are there and the time will come I believe in this country when the message of the gospel and those who adhere to it and proclaim it will be persecuted directly and it will reach its zenith or its high point during the tribulation Revelation chapter 13 verse 7 says he was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And so there's a push towards that. There's a push towards the book of Revelation and the persecution that's going to come there. Uh, where is it hardest to follow Jesus now? Which countries? There's a list of 10 that are at the, uh, the top 10. North Korea, Afghanistan, Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Eritrea, Yemen, Iran, Nigeria and India. Those are the top 10 places where Christians are being persecuted even to the point of losing their lives, both pastors and missionaries. He goes on to say, "I have become a servant by the commission of God gave me to present you to the word of God in its, or the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now being disclosed to the saints." We have this information. We have this mystery that has been kept hidden for Ages and for generations, and we have a commission whether it is a pastor, a servant, a singer, a tech person, children's teacher, administrator, prayer warrior, whatever it is, we have a commission. And like Paul, I believe we're to the work to the point of struggling with all of our energy to make sure individuals get this gospel. What happened? Why did we fall? What's the result of that? And what is the news for the future? To them, verse 27. God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. So he proclaims both the bad news and the good news for all of sin, the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life, the gospel, John three sixteen. He admonishes or brings correction, things to avoid, things to do. Chapters 2 through 4 go through all of this, gives instructions to wives, husbands, children, fathers, slaves, masters, And to teach, teach what the gospel is, teach what false and harmful teachings or philosophies are, teach what is full of wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, doctrines like the doctrine of God, the Trinity, the deity of Christ, salvation, heaven, hell, angels, demons, eschatology, sin, the fall, eternity, all those things we should know. We should know what those are if we are old in the Lord. So the, the application for all of this, struggling. This word struggling in the Greek is agonizing. That's where we agonize. That's how hard you're working. You're working to the point of agonizing to get this done, to oppose the enemy, to get the message out. Do you want to agonize physically? I want you guys just to do this. Go home, lay on the floor, do three push-ups. Go home if you have a bar. Try to do one pull-up. Just one. Just pull yourself up. Oh, I can do that. Well, if you th- can do one, do five. And see if you can do that And before you start agonizing. Or if you don't have a floor you can get on, if you don't have a pull-up bar, get against the wall and just lean against the wall and go down into a seated position and hold it for five minutes. You want to talk about agonizing? You're going to agonize. That's the word that is being used that Paul is describing himself as doing for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, there's one guy... I'm going to close with this. In February 24, 2020, a 60-year-old former Marine set the Guinness Book of World Record by holding a plank over 8 hours, 15 minutes, and 15 seconds. A plank is where you are on your toes, on, on the back. You put your toes behind you, and you take your elbows, and you put them on the ground like that, and you remain flat as a board or a plank, and you hold that. Now, just try that. This guy did it for eight hours, 15 minutes, and 15 seconds. How did he struggle to get to that point? He wrote, or it said about him, it's a four to five hour day in the plank pose. That's how he prepared for this. Then I do 700 push-ups a day, 2,000 sit-ups a day, insets of 100, 500 leg squats a day. For upper body and the arms, I do approximately 300 arm curls a day. Now compare that to us. And this is for perspective, not condemnation. How long do you pray each day? A minute? Five minutes? Thirty minutes? How much do you read or listen to the scripture? An hour? Five minutes? How often do you witness? Once a month? Once a week? Once a year? How much do you serve? A couple hours? I mean, all these things that we do, it's just like, oh, it's a little bit of a routine. I need to do this before I go on. And we're not agonizing over this stuff. And By the way, I include myself in this. I should be praying a lot more. I should be doing a lot more. When I think about all the things I'm not doing, I start agonizing. Instead of agonizing and doing them, I agonize over the things I'm not doing. And Like you, if we do a reflection here. And we could all do much more. Why? Because we know how the story ends. Paul he was a struggling hero we can have a part in the salvation and the uh, discipling of others and we can have a part in restraining evil because we don't know what's in the future we know that it's going to get worse but we don't know what's up ahead and this is our commission God has told us go into all the world and make disciples baptizing them in the name of the Father Son and the Holy Spirit and he's been given all authority to us and he will be with us even to the very end of the age so we have that encouragement that is our task That is our commission. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for spelling out to us through the penmanship of Paul what it was you did to redeem us, that you loved us so much that you were willing to offer yourself as a sacrifice to reconcile the world back to yourself. It is such a gift. It is not something that is a reward, but you freely give it to us if we just receive it. May all we come in contact with receive the gift of salvation. May they apprehend the truth of what sin is and what salvation can do for us. We thank you for this info, Lord. We thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, and the church said, please stand.